Come go with me as we continue into our book reading of Is Christianity the White Man's Religion? How the Bible is Good News for People of Color by Antipas L. Harris. So tonight we journey into part two. Have we been taught to misread the Bible? And part two starts with chapter five, the Christian's scandalous thinking. A brief quote, Christianity has given rise to race-based thinking in the Western world. Asimar Yadev. Much of Christian thinking has been shaped by poor biblical interpretation rather than historical, contextual readings of scripture. Some of my most intense arguments with Christians have been around matters of interpretation and not the actual biblical texts in question. When I was in college, a young waiter I knew from a local restaurant who loved to discuss the Bible wanted to talk about the baptism of the Spirit. She explained something she had been reading. I struggled to follow her interpretation of the passage. When she whipped out a study Bible to prove her point, I noticed that she was relying on the commentary footnotes. This new Bible student was being shaped by certain interpretations of Scripture more than Scripture itself. It was my first clue that commentators have guided much of today's scandalous thinking about the Bible. While study aids are helpful, contemporary scholars note that for centuries many prominent theologians and biblical commentators subtly insert their opinions that force unfounded meaning. Upon the text, Sometimes it does not seem to make a big difference, but other times subtle insertions have significant consequences for Christian thinking. Since the 1960s, a long line of scholars, including but not limited to James H. Kuhn, King Hope Felder, Brian K. Blount, Leonard Lovett, Renita James Wings, Elizabeth Shushler Fiorenza, and others have stood on the margins of theological scholarship and criticized how commentaries and theological education have for centuries shaped racially biased and gender oppressive biblical interpretations. For a long time, their criticisms were brushed off as radical and unfounded because they did not align with mainstream Christian thought. To have a serious conversation about biblical interpretation, one must confront the problem of colonial readings of scripture 
that have permeated Western Christian history since the 16th century. A common topic of interpretive difficulty concerns the phrase, slaves obey your earthly masters. Ephesians 6 and 5, Colossians 3 and 2. During slavery, slave masters use these passages as religious yokes to justify their abuse of black slaves. It is crucial to understand how homogenic, hegemonic ideas have abused biblical interpretation. It is even more important to reread scripture for its historical contextual meaning and its appropriateness in Christian sensitivity to ethnic and cultural diversity. The Bible is more culturally inclusive than many people think. In a society with increased division, the message of God in Christ is one that equalizes all people. The message is that everyone is an equal reflection of God's image in the world. No one person or group of people is better than another. The Bible and Everyday Question For too long, residual effects of colonial readings have plagued the Christian mind. Subconsciously, Christians privilege some people and devalue others. Society has not overcome the divisions that separate whites and blacks. While there are some radically integrated churches, one of the most segregated units in society is the church. Think about it. People who share the same language, schools, restaurants, cities, religion, and Bible still have different assumptions about what worship and religious life should look like. In large part, we accept this reality because old theological assumptions continue to separate God's people in unprecedented ways. If worship space were the only issue, the problem might not be so large. The ramifications of segregated worship have to do with sustaining the ideological frameworks that fostered segregation in the first place. So-called Christian thinking that privileged some and oppressed others. The late Katie Geneva Cannon was the first black woman to be ordained in the Presbyterian Church of the United States and the first black woman to earn a PhD from Union Theological Seminary in New York. As a child in the church, she often wondered why this good God she learned about in her Sunday school class let black people suffer. When she was 12 years old, she worked for a white family and questioned again why the responsibility fell on her to work for them and take care of their children. 
the job paradigm was never the other way around. Blacks working for whites shaped black Christian thinking. But Cannon knew something was not right about this societal structure because it violated the core of her personal experience with God. The God she knew did not make blacks subservient to other human beings. While many blacks held this deep conviction, they struggled to grasp the political power to change their situation. Cannon enrolled in seminary in search of her own voice, but she found herself under the uncomfortable encumbrance of training that did not value her, value her views very much. She submitted a theology paper to Professor Beverly Harrison and admitted that she found it burdensome submitting to the ideological control of authors such as Kirkyard, Nieber, and Tillich. The professor handed back the paper and challenged Cannon to use her experience and insight to frame a voice the world had not yet heard. Professor Harrison helped Cannon see that a black woman from the South could utilize her culture and context as authentic mechanisms through which God, the Bible, and justice coexist to affirm both her humanity and sanctity as a black woman of God. A light went on in Cannon's head. Society had already forged a meaning of God, the Bible, and self that were neither truly of God nor a true reflection of Cannon's identity. Experience matters in shaping the Christian mind. Christian mind. Colonial approaches reject the notion that new interpretations of scripture emerge when both the biblical context and contemporary context of vast cultural diversities meet. Biblical scholar Brian Blount explains, instead of immediately rejecting another culture's reading of a text as a corrupted, self-interested, and therefore biased, is as Jesus Isegesis, oh my, excuse me, let me spell it. E-I-S-E-G-E-S-I-S. -E -E now I'll continue. The culture reader recognizes that the only way to expand meaning is to value the fact that readers in different cultures will assess meaning potential in ways that, while different, may well be no less worthy, no less meaningful. Esegius. Thank you. The tongue roll. Hmm. However, until today, white and male hegemony in Christian thought continues to strong arm discussions about what is biblically and theologically correct. Particularly, evangelical Christian thinking is shaped 
by an assumption that truth is objective and by the arrogance of knowing what that truth is and how to live it out. Everything else is thought to be a, div a deviation. I believe truth is an objective truth. God is objective in that God is impartial, never changing, and the highest being by which all things were created. However, human beings live in observance of God from their positions of experience. An illustration from my professor, Harold Artridge, at Yale Divinity School was stuck, has stuck with me. Our relationship to truth may be described by a multi-angled prism with truth in the center. Depending on the angle one looks at it, the color differs. The substance of the center remains, but the angle of view changes perception. However, the traditional Christians claim on knowing objective truth and how to live it out, privileges certain ways, of, let me repeat that. Moreover, the traditional Christian claim on knowing objective truth and how to, and how to live it out, privileges certain ways of thinking over others. This is the assassin that has often demonized black people's way of relating to the world that destabilized, destabilized their sense of belonging during slavery and Jim Crow. When one is made to think that they are a problem and their way of relating to the world's problematic it places them at the mercy of their fixer. The interpretive framework has spread around the globe as missionaries and colonizers have worked vigorously to advance their own cultural identity in the name of reaching non-Christians. For them, Christianity became the pedagogical pedagogical strategy to horseback housebreak black slaves. The colonizers discovered that the indigenously religious could be controlled by religion, which made it easier to hold them in bondage. Next subchapter, Eurocentrism in Ministry Training. Biblical scholar Kane Hope Felder asserts, what passes for normative is in fact white male Eurocentric hermeneutics. This is not to suggest that white scholars are unable to interpret the Bible or practice the art of theology. Of course they can, and they must. Neither is my point 
to lift black interpretation as superior to others. That would actually undermine my argument for diverse interpretive methods. However, the history of biblical interpretation is laced with religious oppression rooted in the harmful mishandling of the Bible. It is a scandalous reality that systems excluding marginal voices have replaced God's active voice in the church. Interpretive norms sanctified oppression and made segregation a part of American Christian practice. In what world would someone think that a singular system of study should assume ultimate authority over all others and that diverse methods are somehow invalid or even toxic. Yet this approach has plagued Christian thinking all over the world for centuries. 21st century young people are tired of prodding their brains to make sense of it. They are closing the Bible because of insane interpretations that have belingered the Christian mind. They are walking away from the church wondering if it is even relevant in today's world. As that old saying goes, they are throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Biblical scholar and pastor William Myers explains, those who train ministers presuppose a Eurocentric worldview and approach to biblical interpretation. The books academically emphasize selected events in the history of interpretation, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, selected mythological concerns, biblical criticism in general, and historical critical method in particular, or selected hermeneutical motives, motives, authorial intent, inspiration, cross-positional revelation, and inerrancy. For people to understand and appreciate the Bible, they must understand their own history, not adopt a mythology centered around other points of view. An oppressive past follows us, albeit its form has been modified so as not to appear overt. Consider how oppression comes in so many forms. For example, the way theology and biblical studies are taught in the church and the academy advantage 18th and 19th century Western ways of thinking over other diverse ways of thinking. By doing so, the schools sustain colonial superstructures that marginalize the hard work African American and other ethnic or racial minority scholars 
have done to advance new insights into a God who privileges unprivileged people by placing them on an equal playing field with all others. As a result of colonization and the shaping of the Christian mind, legalized passive oppression continues by silencing voices in the church. We'll stop there. Please join us for the next session of part two, chapter five. Amen. <laughs>